with Hashem Salper learning Saita Daf Mem Dalit. We left off on Daf Mem Gimel all the way in the bottom, the last line of the Amid. We are in the middle of learning a series of Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Amar Rabbi Yechanan, in the name of the great Tana Rabbi Eliezer Ben Yaakov, Daf Mem Dalit. <coughs> Mace, when you have a corpse, Toifis Arba Amos Latuma, he seizes, he takes up. Four Amis all around him. Four Tuma. Says the Taprashi, Meis Toifis Arba Amis Lutuma Chacham Im Gazru. The sages decreed, Sheyehei Hameis Metame, that the Meis will give off Tuma. Call Hanichnois to anyone that enters Ba'arma Amoisov in his, in the corpses for Amis. Why? For people who want to remain pure. For example, they want to eat foods that can only be eaten when they are in a state of purity. They should not even enter near a corpse because if you will enter near a corpse by Torah law, as long as you do not extend yourself over the corpse, as long as there is no oil, you will not become Tomei Midoi Raisa. But the sages were afraid, like Rashi says, that you might extend your hand unbeknownst to you, and you might put your hand over the maze, and then you will become tummy, and you might not know. So they made a decree. Whenever you walk within four amas or closer to the maze, you're tummy. Says the Gemara that vitana tuna, that actually we can prove from a known b'raisa, and actually we are quoting over here, I'll take a Mishnah from Mesechtas Ahalois, the Mishnah speaks about a din that implies this din of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. What's the Mishnah in Ahalois? The Mishnah says Chatzar HaKever. Chatzar HaKever literally means the uh, Chatzar, the, uh, the yard to, to a grave, but what does that refer to? You know, interestingly, when we were heading towards the end of Nazir, Remember, we also learned dinim about burials of the dead. So in those days, it was very common for people to dig underground what they would call the crypt, some sort of underground burial in which they went into, let's call this a cave, and they built in the walls openings in which they inserted corpses. Now, they used to build some sort of um, entranceway which would basically be an open pit. So there would be a pit going down into the ground. And from this pit, you would enter the crypt itself. The crypt was covered. It was roofed. There also, if one were to put one's hand over the crypt, you would become Tommy. And here the Mishnah is speaking about what were to happen if you enter the Chatzar HaKever, this like open pit in front of the crypt. So it says... Well, let's call this a courtyard. When you are in that courtyard, when you didn't enter the crypt proper, no matter in what part of the chutzr you are in, even if you are, that's what the Mishnah is really saying, even if you are very close to the corpse, but you are, so to say, in a different room, you're in the pre-chamber, so the din is your tar. However, says the Mishnah, as long as the chutzr itself is a significant pre-chamber, then no matter in what part of the chutzr you are in, there's no rabbinic tumah. Certainly not a taita tumah. You're in a different room. It means even if I'm a millimeter away, right behind the wall, there's the mace. 
So Beshamai says that's only if the chatzar, if this open pit, or you call this the courtyard, is a significant room, meaning it has four kibbutz or more. Basilal is even more lenient, and they say, no, that even if it's only four tfachim, how does a person fit into four, four tfachim? Four tfachim is 12 inches. Let's say it's 16 inches by 16 inches, but if that, so that's why we call it a pit. In other words, it was just like an entranceway. That as long as the entranceway has four handbreadths by four handbreadths, there, if you are in the chatzar, not yet in the crypt, you're tahar. Then the Mishnah adds, and these words will be amended, when does Basil will say this lenient opinion that even if there's only four tfachim, you're going to remain tahar, that's only if shepischa milmaila. And let's entice, pischa milmaila means, how did people get into this chatzar? So there were two ways. There was the fancier way, where they would build what's called in the Gemari here, pischa minatzad, which means the way we'll teach it, the way many of the Shainim interpret it, there were stairs going down to the Chatzar. In other words, how do you get into this pit? Well, if you have stairs, you walk down the stairs. That's the way we, we build today. The, the, the more primitive option would be simply, it's like there's just a hole in the ground, and you sort of say jump in. Jumping in. Ladder. No, I'll tell you why I'm not saying a ladder, because of what Rashi says. If there's no ladder, there's just an opening, Getting in there, you give a, you know, you, you, you jump down. But when you get out, you have to physically put your hands on top. And if you have to put your hands on top, it's possible that one of your hands will go on top of the place of the crypt, will go on top of the cavern. So if it, it, the problem with this interpretation is that what the Mishnah appears to be writing is mamish against logic. And it's going to be amended. If the pischaz mil maila, if there are no stairs, if you have to like jump in and out using your hands, that is when Basilil is lenient. But if pischa minatzad, if there's stairs from the side, then even Basilil will admit to Beishamai that when do we say that if you are in this chatzar, you are not tame, that's only if the chatzar has four cubits. But if it has less than four cubits, being that it has steps, ah, then, Midrabanan, you'll become Tomei by entering this Chatzar. So asks the Gemara, Klap Eliyah, you know, a Talmudic expression, which means, in what direction are you going? In other words, you're going in the wrong direction. You're going in the opposite direction. Adarabo, Min Hatzad, if the steps are on the side, since Midrid Vinafik, you can slowly draw away. Like Rashi says, you don't have to put your hands to physically lift yourself up. That is where base Hillel should be more lenient, that even if the Chatzar is very small, you are in a different chamber. You know, why would you put your hand over the caver? You won't do that. You're not in that room. There's a wall separating you, and going in and out won't force you to do it either. However, if, if there is no stairs from the side, in other words, you have to let yourself up by physically putting your hands on top of the pit and schlepping yourself out of it, so then he have to delay my whole dear. It's very likely that you're going to put your hands over the cavern. And it is there where Basilel should have admitted to base Shammai. So the Gemara amends it. When is Basilel lenient? Even only for Tfachim, you're not going to become Tomei, not even Midrabanan. That's only if there's a staircase going into this Chatzir. But if you have to physically move yourself out by, by putting your hands to the top openings of the pit, then he admits that if the chatzar is for Amis, 
So it's very possible, it's very easy for you to go out of the pit far away from the kever. In other words, even though your hands will have to grab onto the rim of the opening, but it could be, and it's probably going to be far away from the grave, from the crypt, that's where Basilil is lenient. But if it's going to be smaller, then even Basilil will be moidah to Beishamai, that midrabanan, even though you don't know that you did oil, chachamim gazru. End of Mishnah. Now, how do we prove from this Mishnah the din of Rabbi Yezer ben Yaakov? Ah, the Mishnah doesn't say that if you walk within Arba Amas of Ames, you're Tommy Medrabanan. But the Mishnah, by the fact that the Mishnah is speaking about a case where you are near the mace, but you're not Tame because you are in a different room, what does that imply? You know why you're not Tame? Because you are in a different environment where there's a, a physical barrier reminding you, don't do oil. In other words, now the Gemara says, according to both of them. You know, the question is only how big does the chatzar have to be? But if the chatzar has the, the correct size or if it's larger, even if you're standing right mamash next to the caver, you are not tamay. That's only because the mesayma mechitzasa, because the partitions that separate the chatzar from the crypt itself, they distinguish, they mark, they separate these two environments, and you have a reminder, and that's why there's no rabbinic law. Abel ba'alma, but when you have an a mace that's in an unenclosed area, then it seems from the Mishnah, this din of Rabbi Yezer, that Midrabanan toughest, the, the Tuma, so to say, seizes or expands, and Midrabanan, you're going to be Tomei. Many of the Rishonim therefore say that when you have a person who's buried, the way we bury today, and if on top of that place all of the areas marked, Lamashal, here in Los Angeles, in many cemeteries, in many Bateachayims, you only have a marker on the head, but the entire body is not marked. That's a problem, because then, if, if you were to think, I didn't go on top of the mace, maybe you did. But the Me'idi and other Yishayim say that if you have a marking on top of the ground that fully covers the area underneath which the mace is buried, there also, perhaps, you can be lenient, even if you are within, for Amas, to say you're tired. Because midar it's only oil. It's only if you go over or if you touch. And the Chachamim were only afraid that you might do oil without knowledge if there's nothing distinguishing, if there's no marker. And just like you have a wall, so many expand that leniency to a above-the-ground marking. Okay. Mara continues quoting from the Mishnah. Again, these are the people that were exempt, and as we spoke out yesterday, very importantly, that there are really two categories of exemptions. The Mishnah Daft Mem Gimel. You have those who Bechlal didn't have to go, but the Mishnah began with the ones who needed to walk until the first pep talk, or the first inspiring talk, which was, as the Gemara explained really twice, the first one was on the, on the border, on the Sfar, when they were leaving you know, their country, our country, to go fight the enemy. And there, the, the, the people who were engaged, but they didn't yet do Nesuyen, the people who built a house, right, and they didn't yet move into it at all, the people who planted a vineyard, but they didn't redeem it at all. So now they were allowed, or according to other Rishonim, they were obligated to return. Says the Gemara Miho, Isha Eiras Isha Chuli, 
Again, just to, you know, the, the, the difference between Chuli and Goimer. That we only use the words Goimer or Vigoimer when we are quoting from Tanakh. Whenever we quote from any other Maimer Chazal, like we're quoting from the Mishnah, so in, here the, in Lashon HaKodesh, the word etc. is not Gimovav, but it's Chavav. So Chuli says, the Gemaraton we learned in Ebraisa, Asher Eiras. See, many times we interchange the sin, which is how it's written in the Torah, and a Samach. And by the way, now that we're already heading into the ends of Saita, we have older prints of the Rambam, in which the Rambam spells Hilcha Saita with a sin. And that's as we learned in the beginning of the Masechta, that, that a person only sins, LMK, Nichnas, in the person, Ruach, Shtus. So Shaita and Saita should have the same letter. Over here, Asher Eira says the Braisa Echad Hamares is Absula, like we learned in Hamishnah. It's not only if you got engaged to a woman that was never married before, never with a man before, but even if you got engaged to a widow, or as we spoke out to a woman who was divorced from another man, or even if a woman is a Shemeres Yavam, the woman who was married to one's brother who died without children, and more than that, even if there are five brothers. One of the brothers died in this battle. In other words, when they left, they had no exemption. It was in the middle of the war that now this exemption came up. Kulan, all of the remaining brothers, could go back or should go back. Then the Braise continues when the Pasik says the words, you, whoever got engaged, this is very similar to the Braises we learned on Daphne Gimel. And as the Gemara or the Braise says, really the Torah could have used the words without a hey at the end. When the Torah adds an extra hey, that extra letter is to exclude those who have exemptions. Prat, people who are engaged to women with whom they're not allowed to marry. And the examples here given is a almana to a kain gadol, a grusha or a chalutza. And as we speak out, chalutza is really a rabbinic law to a kain hediyot. Mamzeres v'nesina liyisrael. When it comes to the nesinim, again to speak out, machlekes rishonim. Whether it's an iser dairaiso or it's a drabanan, it appears from the sugi in Yevamis that it is an iser drabanan. Either by Yeshua, most times we speak about the Nesinim, the Gevainim, those who fooled Yehoshua. The expression in Chazal is that David was the one that made the decree. Perhaps Yeshua's decree was only to be standing during the times of the temple. And David said, forever, be that as it may, or these marriages should not happen. Or Abbas Yisrael to Amamzer or to Anasim. In all of these cases, they are not exempt. And again, the same back and forth we had at the bottom of Daf Mem Gimel, we're having over here. So asks the Gemara, now that we quoted the Braisa, perhaps it seems to be, Lema, that this Braisa cannot be authored by Rabbi Yaisi Haglili, or by Atana that will hold like Rabbi Yaisi Haglili. Why not? Because the Rabbi Yaisi Haglili, what did we learn? That in Pasuk Ches, there was a further V'yosfu HaShaitrim, there was a further exemption, not for those for wife, house, vineyard, but there was an exemption for people who are afraid and faint-hearted. And the meaning of these words is up to a machlekes tanoim. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Yossi Haglili, and Rabbi Yossi Haglili interprets, that if someone is afraid of their sins, they should return. So one second, you're telling me that if a Kohen Gadol gave a Kedushan 
to a non-psula that he was not allowed to do. He's not allowed to marry her. He's not exempt. Well, even if he's not exempt from this verse, he's exempt anyway. Because he should be afraid because of the sin in his hand. Says the Gemara, no. Afilu Even if the Tana would be Rabbi Yaisi Haglili, we can explain it as Rabbo says. Or Rava, there's a debate as to who is the Amaira, to Amar Rava or Rava, according from Kedushanayin Ches, that all, when will a person get flogged for violating these illegal, halachically illegal marriages, only if there was an act of bi'ilah, of cohabitation, which happens after marriage. In other words, for example, in Pasha's Emmet itself, where the Torah says that, you know, a almana, Grusha, that's the Pasik. Almana Grusha, Halala Zaina, regarding the coin godless. Ela lo yikach, he should not marry them. And Bakhlal, you should know that when the trader says the words yikach, taking, it means the first step of marriage. But over there, right after the trader says lo yikach, it says in the next Pasik, so from the juxtaposing of lo yikach, the coin only becomes a halal, that means that he's not allowed to serve in the temple as long as he's married to her, only if he had an act of cohabitation with her from then until he gets divorced. Says the Gemara, You know, the children that are born, God forbid, from this illegal marriage, they always are disqualified from doing the Avaidah. They're called Halalim. So here, doesn't mean engagement. And therefore, Rabbi Rabbi says, Malkis, you'll only be get, not for the act of Lakach, but for the act of Nesuyan, that and therefore coming back to our sugya, very interesting. There are different levels of sin. And even though the Rabbi Yisai Haglili says that if someone has a sin in his hand, he should return, because he should, he might, he'll get killed in battle. What type of sin are we talking about? Only if he married her. This part of the Mishnah is speaking about those who didn't get married yet. They only got engaged. So here the Braise can say they're taken not exempt. They have to go fight the battle. I, they should have a fear from the Avedas in their hand. They don't have yet an Aveda in their hand. We learned in Abrai, so this is very important. Like everything else. That when the Torah gives these three exemptions, let's focus on the order. First, the Torah speaks about those who build a house. Then the Torah speaks about those who plant a vineyard. And then the Torah speaks about the exemption of those who get engaged. Says the Gemara, says the Salim the Torah, the Recheretz, the Torah is teaching us proper behavior. That in, in, in the order of life, first, Shivna Adam Bayes. First, you should build a house. And then, Vita you should plant a vineyard. And then, you should get married. By the way, the Rambam in Hochaz Deis, hopefully most of us learned many, many times, doesn't write this order of house, vineyard, wife. He actually writes vineyard, house, and wife. Because the, the, the concept here is that a person should be able to sustain, to support the endeavors that we embark in. Actually, that's one of the reasons why, even though Ben Shloish Esrei Lemitzvahs, there's a mitzvah to have children, why is it only Ben Shmoyne Esrei Lechupa? Because you need those years to start establishing oneself to have a livelihood, to be able to buy a house and to get married. So many of the Rishonim explain that you see here in the Braiso, the words va'achar kach 
is not written between bias and kerem. You know, it doesn't say yivna adam bias va'achar kach kerem va'achar kach isha. The words after only goes between the house and the vineyard and the woman. When it comes to the house and the vineyard, love dafk in disorder. And there's a lot of discussion about that. Actually, today that's not the minig Yisrael. And, and but there's a reason for that because today it's accepted in our in our world that parents help the children establish themselves and there is a balance there's a derecheretz and then there are dinim and there are many dinim regarding a person not should not be should not live out of marriage and there are many possible isuridaraisas that a person can violate so in the balance of things we talk don't get married number 13 but whatever today the accepted ages amongst different uh, religious groups by then either a person should talk have some type of business established or as it is in most religious communities it's accepted that parents help the children get on their feet and their children pay that back by them doing the same to their children and so did Shlem HaMelech say in his wisdom and look at this Pasik and how the Gemara is going to give many interpretations to it prepare your work outside then he says a very unusual expression that is interpreted also to mean preparing. Prepare for you in your field. And then the Pasik says, and Achar then build your house. The first interpretation goes to a house. Build your house. And as the Marsha explains, what's a house? You take an area that's called Chutz. And you transform it into your you know, into, into your own house. You take the rishus and you make it into a rishus ayachid, which is our avoid in this world. And then then you plant pashit, plant in a field zekerim. And then and only then beisecha ain't bias beisoy elayisha. Then get married. Now davar acher. There are other meanings to the pasuk. Hachin b'chutz melachtecha refers to learning, that there is a seder in learning. First, learn chumash, mikra, the written Torah. And then, va'atadob ha'sadolach goes to the Mishnah. And only afterwards, u'banisa b'isecha zegemara. Or the way we can word this today, of the importance, at least our shiras of learning, in quantity, a lot of gemara. And even though that by default, it's very difficult to learn it in depth. But there is an advantage of first mastering all of the Mishnayis, which would mean today mastering, at least in a superficial way, all of Shas. And then understand it deeply. Because in many times when you don't, when you're not familiar with the general dinim and the back and forth, then a Pashat from a lack of knowledge, we mistakenly understand it wrongly. Tavarach and another interpretation, Hachin B'chutz goes both to Mikra and to Mishnah. What's the preparation that's done in the field that refers to the Gemara? And Achar What comes afterwards? Elomaisim Toivim. In other words, this would mean over here that if you don't know the Dinim, you can't do Maisim Toivim. In order to know what you need to do, you have to have the knowledge first. Avada, of course, you're learning in order to do, but you have to learn in order to do. Rabbi says the final that goes to Mikra, Mishnah, and Gemara. That is what transforms the out into 
as we learned before, into a home. Preparing for yourself in the field goes to Maisim Tovim. What's the building of the house? Building of a house, you know, it's very much like getting married. Go teach. Or to word it differently, in order for a person to be a successful teacher, meaning he's not just imparting information, but he wants to be a good role model, that person has to be a person who learns Torah and who keeps the mitzvahs. Because if we don't keep it ourselves, then we will not successfully be able to teach others. Continues the Gemara, quoting from the Mishnah, Ve'elu, she'ein chazran, the ones who do not return, who get no exemption, is first the Mishnah mentioned three types of structures that are passageways, right? Beishar, Achsadra, and Mirpeses. And then the Mishnah quoted the Rebbe Yehuda that says that af bayis al a person had a house, let's say in the house fell down, and the person simply rebuilt it exactly as it was, on the same place, so Rabbi Yehuda says that he doesn't return. However, says the Gemara, Tani, we learned in Abraisa, that even according to Rabbi Yehuda, im boy dimus echad. Person had a house and it fell in and he rebuilt it exactly on the same place. Exactly the same way, but he added one row of bricks. That addition makes the entire house a new house. Then Chayzer. Revaldik. Rabbi Yezer says, If a person builds a home made out of bricks in an area in Eretz Yisrael called the Sharon, he would not return as we spoke Rashi. And now we have here, Rashi quoted this, but we learned why. Because in the Sharon area, the land was a certain type of land that did not tolerate buildings made out of bricks, very much like here in Los Angeles because of the earthquakes. There's certain buildings, you think, I built a strong structure. Stronger can be worse, it's not flexible. And over there in the Sharon, if you build a building out of bricks, you would have to renew it once in two years. So such a house to begin with doesn't count as a house. Right. Now the Mishnah concluded, the following are those who to begin with don't have to go out. You don't have to go to the border and hear the pep talk and hear your exemption and go back. And even when you go back, you're not fully exempt. You still have to do behind the enemy line work. But the ones that are fully exempt, nish, they go out to begin with. Nor do they have to do any type of sheirut leomi, that's if he already moved into his house, but didn't live there for a full year. He already began to redeem the fruits of his vineyard, but he didn't do so for a full year. And he already got married, but was not yet the Vesima Chesishtoi Shona Echos. we learned in Isha How do you know that this exemption of not even needing to go refers also to someone who marries a widow or to someone who married a divorcee? Minayin, Talmud Loimer, Isha, Mikol Makayim. And as we learn that really when the Pasik in Pashas Kiseitse begins Kiikach Ish, Isha Chadosha, that Isha is not extra and it cannot be used to teach you anything. What, what would the Torah write? Kiikach Ish Chadosha. But at the end of the Pasik where it says Visimach Es Ishtoi, that Ishtoi is extra because the Pasik could have said that he should rejoice with her. It doesn't have to say with his wife because the Pasik began with the word Isha. That Isha is to include any wife. 
why does the Torah say the words Isha Chadasha? Question on the word Chadasha. Answers the Gemara, me, Shechadasha Loi. A moral in life, new doesn't have to mean brand new. New means for you it's new. He never married her before, so there's a Chiddush for him. What does that exclude? That excludes a person who was married, who got divorced. If she never married another man, the original husband is allowed to remarry her. According to many, has a mitzvah to remarry her. Then he has no exemption because she's not new to him. Another b'risa says the Gemara Tanarabanan. We learn that this man should know, should not go out to war to an army. You might think from these words that it's only battle itself that he does not go out to. Aval, but he's still obligated during a war, Yaspik to do all of the Sherut Liomi, to work behind the lines, to bring the fruit, to bring the water, or Hadrachim to fix the roads. Talmud Laimer. The Pasik says in the same verse, that don't place on him any matter, any davar. Really, it's such a strong expression. The Gemara is going to ask, why did the Pasik have to say Lo Yetzi about Sava? Say lo yavar olav lo chol dover. So yachol shani marbe afab bein abayis v'lechanochay, or not a kedem v'lechiluloi, or eres isha v'loy lo kacha that they are also fully exempt, meaning they don't even have to go out. Ah, tamod lemer olav. Only this one, the one who already got married, he's fully exempt. Olav yatamavet avalatamavet alachedim. The other ones, olav, they have to go out. They can only go back when they hear the words of the mashuach molchama. And for this b'raisa, even when they go back, they're not exempt. They are exempt of facing down the enemy, but they're obligated to do service behind the enemy line service. Now asks the b'raisa, why did the pasik have to say the words You know, it's much more inclusive. You don't place any matter on them, not even uh, behind the enemy line. So avada not fighting. And it says the gemara Bishnei Lavin. Interestingly, the Zayar HaKadosh interprets the words Lo'yavar Olav L'chol Davar Bechlal not referring to warfare, but something that's also very uh, customary in many religious crowds today that he says Lo'yavar Olav L'chol Davar L'chol Davar means Mila Ba'alma Mundane matters. In other words, when a person gets married for the first year, a person should be engaged more than usual in, in learning and in davening. We'll call this today going to a koil. That's what you tell us in the first year, but we are beyond the first year. Really, the whole life, we have to figure out how to balance everything and to make our ikad occupation with our davening and learning. Continues the mission. And now we're quoting from Pasik Ches. Again, Pasha Shoftim, Pedek Chof, Pasik Ches. So the Pasik Hey Vav Zion were the exemptions, you know, in this order that we just learned in the Recheretz of a house, of a vineyard, and a wife. And then the Pasik says, And these officers continued, they added, and they spoke to the people that that the person who is afraid and who has a faint heart, he should return home and he should not spread his fear to his brothers. So here we have now Machlaikas. Abakiva says, Who's the Hayyare? Who's the Rachalevov? Kemashmoy. A Pashit. If someone is afraid, if someone has a faint heart, Sheinoi Yochola Ahmed Bikishrei Hamulchama. 
that he's unable to stand. The, you know, the word keshed literally means a knot. When soldiers form formations, one of the techniques of warfare is to stay united. So they have to like lock arms or they get into a certain formation where they're knotted together. Some people have fear of going to war and the moment they come to this stage of war, they say it's the worst part. You know, once you're in something, we become numb or whatever. Something happens inside of us, but the most frightful moment is when we're locking arms and we're about to engage in battle. Some people who cannot, uh, they're afraid to stand in these formations. Or, and, Veliroi's head of Shalufa, they're unable to see a unsheathed sword. You know, the sword when it's in, when, uh, you know, a gun that's out that, you know, without the security trigger. You know, we mean business. Some people are afraid of that. Very interestingly, in Parshas Vayishlach, we also find that before Yaakov met Esau, so the Torah uses a double expression. It says, Vayira, Vayetzev. So Rashi brings down that it, it, there were two fears. Vayira meant he was afraid to be killed. And Vayetzev means he was afraid that he might kill. Maybe these are the two expressions. You know, Yare, Vayira. You know, people are afraid to kill. And, and, and uh, people are afraid to be killed. And the you know, faint-hearted means you have to have... God forbid, none of us want to do that. But in the times of war, when we have to protect ourselves, or if there's a Malchemist Mitzvah, this is what God wants, then you got to do it. And some people, so Rabbi Kiva says it means Kipshutai. Rabbi Yaisi Aglili says, no. Only refers to someone, and we'll see the word only in a moment in the Gemara. Perhaps Rabbi Yaisi Aglili agrees to Rabbi Kiva, and he adds, If someone is afraid of the sins in their hands, and now he adds something beautiful. Lefikach, and therefore, tol solei ha-teire es kol elu Haglili adds the following. Think about it. Why is it that you're telling a person, or these categories of people, go out to the border, hear the words of the Meshuach Melchama, and then go back to work behind enemy lines? Why, why do they have to go out? Just a people should know the din. If you got engaged, you're not yet married, you don't go to the front, don't go to the border, don't walk back. To begin with, go start doing other service for the army, behind the lines. So Rabbi Yisaglidi explains, this is beautiful. Since in Pasek Ches, we learned that people that are afraid of sins in their hands are allowed to go back. Now think about it, once a person reaches there, like most of us, we all, unfortunately, we justify our sins. I'm okay. But then when we get to battle, and fear might sink in. We start making a real cheshben. We face the moment of truth. We realize, no, 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 I got sins. And I'm exempt. But I'm ashamed to walk back. Because everyone is going to know that I'm a sinner. So by providing other people that are there, that have exemptions, that are not connected to sin, so I, the sinner, I won't be ashamed to walk back because people that will look at me won't know, I'm a sinner? No, I mean, I just got married. So that's the benefit. Now the truth is that even Rabbi Kiva can also use the same logic. It's not as bad as being a sinner, but some people are afraid. And, and people might be ashamed that they're afraid. And you can't say, you know, if you're ashamed, then go fight. Because during the battle, as we'll see in a moment, if a person then is going to want to run away during a battle, that's the worst thing, the beginning of the defeat. Of a, of, a, of a group of soldiers is when one of them starts fleeing away. So if someone is afraid for whatever reason, you would rather him not begin and run away 
Don't join to begin with. But shame is a big motivator. So to cover up the shame, Rabbi Yisai really is saying, aha, that's why the other three needed to go, and now they're allowed to walk back. No one is going to know who's the sinner and who's the builder. Rabbi Yisai, Rabbi Yisai adds, and it's difficult to understand exactly what is he adding on Rabbi Yisai Haglili. The Gemara will explain. If someone already got married, all of these people are All of these people are sinners. And it appears that Rabbi Yaisi is also explaining these words in reference to Averis. And again, what's the nafkemina between him and Rabbi Yaisi Hagalili? Let's wait for the Gemara. And now the Mishnah quotes Pasik 9, Pasik Tes, that when these officers concluded, speaking to the people, then they appointed masters, leaders of the legions, and where did they put them? In the head of the people. Adds the Mishnah. They didn't only put certain designated people in the head, they also put people in the rear, in the heel, in the back of the people. What for, says the Mishnah? The ones that were standing in the front, as Rashi explains, that you needed to have specially mighty people in front, not only to win the enemy, but again, we want to prevent from the beginning some sort of running back. Many times soldiers lose their balance. That's the way Rashi says. So if someone will lose the balance, not get killed, you want these officers in the front to right away straighten them out and to encourage them to keep on going ahead. So those were the ones that they put in the front. But they put other soldiers, officers, that they stood in the back of the group. What was their purpose? They had in their hands iron axes. Why? If a soldier in the middle of the group would say, you know what, I'm going home, and he, would, and he would want to go back, so we had officers that had the right, he would sever his legs, he could knock his legs out. Why? Turning the Amit? The literal meaning here is, the beginning of flight is a downfall. Really, the Gemara is going to ask, and will amend, the wording perhaps should have been reversed that the beginning of the downfall is flight. But here it's worded the beginning of flight is downfall. Shinamad, as it says, and we have two psukim. One is it says in Shmuel Nas Yisrael of Neapolishtim that when the Jewish people fled from the Polishtim, then it says, there was a terrible Magaifa. Uh, Many of us got killed. In other words, the fleeing brought in the Magaifa. We also have when it comes to the war of Shaul Hamelech in which he got killed, unfortunately. It says, that the Jewish people ran away, they fled from the Polishtim. And then it says, and they managed to kill us. Now, the Mishnah adds, after we learned a few pages of exemptions, 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 this is typical, we're going to add that, that will change everything. That people are exempt, they are allowed to go back, they to begin with don't have to go. That's only in a discretionary war, as we'll see soon in the Gemara, what this refers to. Any war that is in the category of a war, of a mitzvah, everyone is obligated to go out. 
even a chasan from his chamber, even a kala from her chupasan. Isn't that amazing? Everyone has to go fight. A chasan is in the chupa, go fight. So what, you got married? There's a mitzvah. Bechlal, that's the rule. The rule is that any mitzvah, she'i efshir la'asoysen al-idei acherim, even a mitzvah medirabonon, mevatlin everything, mevatlin tamotayra, which is kenegat kula. That's why we hear the Megillah. This is an example on the Gemara. So there's a work that's being done now. Everyone is needed. Obviously, when everyone is needed. But if Taka, everyone is needed, everyone has to go fight. As the Gemara will explain, is really not arguing at all. With the Tanakama, he's using different words for an important reason. When are there people exempt when the war is called a war of mitzvah? Again, the Gemara will explain. But when there's a war called a war of obligation, again, even a chasen from his chamber, even a kala from her chupa. Again, the Rambam. Correct. The Rashi says, wait for the Gemara. Hold your breath for the Gemara. And it's a short Gemara. Let's begin. First, the Gemara addresses the first question that becomes clear in the Mishnah when Rabbi Yosi Haglili argued with Rabbi Kiva. Hayori, the Rachlevov, goes to Avedis. Then Rabbi Yosi, the Tana, a different Tana, gives examples, says the Gemara, my Ika Bain, Rabbi Yosi Haglili. So the Gemara says, very simple, Ika Benayo Avedis, the Rabbanon. If you have rabbinic laws, let's read inside the first Rashi in the Gemara. Even if a person violated relatively, we're using the word only, a rabbinic law, he did not differentiate. Rabbi Yossi gave examples. The problem is that from the examples that he gave, you have a chalutza, good, but that's what Rabbi Yossi meant. Rabbi Yossi, now, many people can answer that even though he also mentioned rabbinic marriages, it's not that Rabbi Yossi said that for a rabbinic marriage, hard and fast rule, you don't have to return. There are many rabbinic prohibitions that are extensions of Torah prohibitions. So even though a chalutza can marry a coin, a coin can marry a chalutza, but now that the rabbi says they can't, why did they say they can't? Because a chalutza is like a gerusha. So even according to Rabbi Yossi, perhaps, they would return. It's not a Torah law, but it's like a Torah law. For what rabbinic laws, as the Gemara is going to point out in a moment, will Rabbi Yossi say he does not have to return? And as we see in Abraisa, that soch ben you know, between the hand tefillin and the head tefillin, we're not supposed to speak. Let's just speak about, there's many, there's three opinions in halacha. Well, we, Menik Chabadis, we follow the ruling that when we put on Rashi's tefillin, we have to make the bracha before, over, before we do the mitzvah. And by the way, it's very important to remind ourselves that we understand that the nodding of the tefillin, the knot has to be done every day, the mitzvah is to bind it, which is why we have a very special kesher. We loosen the knot every day, and then when we put on the tefillin, we close the knot. Right before we close the knot, we make the bracha lehoniach tefillin. We have in mind, this is both for the hand and for the head, and we should not speak between one and the other. If we speak between the hand tefillin and the head tefillin, then we have to make the bracha before we tighten the head tefillin, al mitzvah tefillin. 
So here, let's learn Pshat and the Braisa, that if a person spoke between the hand filling and the head filling, and they did not make the bracha on the head filling, you see, Danny, this is a mamasha derabanan, b'chal brachas, birchas mitzvahs, aside of birchas hamazan, perhaps aside of birchas atayra, achleik, as we learned this together, whether it's midirais or not, is a midirabanan. Here, you only violated the rabbinic law. Nevertheless, the Braises says, that you go back from the regiments. You know who holds? That's only Rabbi Yossi Haglili. That's exactly what Rabbi Yossi went to argue with. For this type of sin, you spoke between tefillah and tefillah and you didn't make a bracha. For that, you don't have to go back according to Rabbi Yossi. And as many of the Mepharshim speak out, that there's a deeper meaning over here. You know, the hand tefillah represents action. The head tefillah represents the learning. And we have to make sure that we don't separate the learning and the action. As we just had on Daf Mem, the Daladamadalif. You have to learn and you have to be Dairish. You have to learn and you have to teach. You have to learn and you have to do Maisam Tevim. And if there's a break somewhere over there, according to Rabbi Yesi Aglili, that's the Avedish Shabbiyadi. Continues the Gemara, Man Tanaladatan Who is the author of the following Raisa? That if Shamakil Kranais, that if the soldiers heard the sounds of the trumpers, Vihir Siyah, and he trembled. Or if a soldier heard the clashing of the shield, and he trembled. Or if he heard if he saw the glittering of the swords, and and urine is dripping down his legs, he can go back, says the Gemara. You think that this will only be Rabbi Kiva? Who said that whoever has fear means whoever has fear, pushed fear, says the Gemara, no. It can, and not Rabbi Yaisi Haglili, says the Gemara, not. Even Rabbi Yaisi Haglili will admit, let's learn this Gemara, that if there is a real, a lot of fear, you also return. There's different ways of learning the Gemara. Let's learn it, simplify it one way. When someone has any type of fear, like Rabbi Kiva used the word, according to Rabbi Yisagalili, man up, you know, if I can't listen to the words of the Meshuach Mulchama, for sure he had a power to inspire, and he inspired him. But there's different levels of fear. If a person is pushed, he's his urine is dripping down his knees, ah, that fear, is not, we don't want them there. Again, it's contagious. He's going to make other people afraid because it says, he should not make the hearts of his brothers melt like his heart. And as the Mishnah said, that So now the Gemara is asking on the words of the Mishnah. Why does the Mishnah say, Why does the Mishnah say the words that the beginning of flight is a downfall when the more correct way of wording it should have been, the beginning of downfall is Fleeing is flight. Nefila mi bayalei answers the Gemara en chanami ema ema mend or understand mepneishet chilas nefila nisa. Now just to know that in the Gemara sometimes it says tni tni for sure means we are amending. When the Gemara says ema ema means say understand, which really might mean perhaps that we're not amending the mission, but we're saying something even deeper. No, it's externally, everyone understands that the beginning of fleeing, when soldiers begin to flee, that's the beginning of the downfall. But the question is, why did that individual soldier flee? How did that begin? It began because in his mind, in his heart, he already had a downfall. 
So the inner downfall is the beginning of the problem. And ultimately, it comes back to amuna and bitachin. If a person has real bitachin, when you face something and you know you're going to win, if you know you're going to win, you have no fear. If you have no fear, you're not going to start running. If you're not going to start running, there's not going to be a downfall. So that's really, keep the version. That's exactly what we're saying. The beginning of fleeing, everything externally begins with a fleeing internally, which is the nefila, the falling, the falling away from bitachin. Back in the Mishnah. So we had in the Mishnah Machlekes, Tanakama, and the Tanah Rebbe Yehuda. So the Gemara makes a very important clarification. You should know that the Chachamim, the Tanakama, and Rabbi Yehuda are not arguing b'metzias. They're arguing with semantics that have a halachic consequence, but not directly to the din that we're talking about. What the Chachamim call Rishus, that same war is called by Rabbi Yehuda mitzvah. What the Chachamim call Melchemes mitzvah, that same war is called by Rabbi Yehuda Chayva. So they're not arguing. No, it's, they both hold on the same type of war. Whether you're going to call it mitzvah, whether you're going to call it Rishos, that only there you have the exemptions. But if the war is, let Abanan call the mitzvah, or if it's a Chayva, then, it's, then, you, then no one is exempt. And as the Gemara right away clarifies, before we get into why did they argue with semantics, clarifying, says Rava, the, war, the wars that was led by Yehoshua, Lichboish, to conquer the seven nations, everyone considers that an obligation war. On the other side, the wars that were fought under the leadership of David HaMelech, those wars that were Lirafcha simply to, uh, to expand the land of Israel, Rashi says, for example, the wars that he fought against Aram Tsoiva. And that was only to make the land of Israel expanded, to be able to tax the residents that live there, to make them into vassal states. Everyone agrees that that's called Rishos. And let's go further. By Melchemist Rishos, you have the exemptions. By the obligation wars, there are no exemptions. When do they argue? This is very important. In today's words, when we are going to fight a preemptive war, there are nations around us that might attack us. To prevent them from attacking us, we attack them first. Ma Rabbi Yehuda calls that war a war of mitzvah. This is a war in which there are exemptions. There's exemptions. The Chachamim call it Rishos. Again, in other words, bottom line is, by the Melchemist based David, even by preemptive wars, everyone agrees we are exempt. Those, those who are exempt are exempt. The three, four categories. When you have a Melchemist Chayva, Yoshua, everyone agrees that everyone, there's no exemptions. Why are they changing semantics? Explains the Gemara. There's a rule that when you are busy doing a mitzvah, you are exempt from keeping other mitzvahs. Of course, of time, this is a whole entire sugya that has many, many ramifications practically today. But just to at least to understand the concept, when I am doing one mitzvah, while I'm doing it, even if a poor man asks me for tzedakah, I'm exempt. I'm busy doing a mitzvah. The question is, when we went on a preemptive war, 
everyone agrees that the, the three, the four are exempt. Let's speak about the three exemptions. It was a person built, got engaged, but he didn't get married yet. He goes, he's allowed to go back. The question is, those who are fighting that war, are they fighting a Mohammed's mitzvah? Meaning, during the time that they are engaged in that warfare, they're doing the mitzvah, and therefore they are exempt from all other mitzvahs? Or do we say, no, 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 they're doing rishus, but they're not doing a mitzvah. So they are not exempt of other mitzvahs. That's the machlaikas between the Tanakhama and Rabbi Yehuda. And with this, we conclude the Pedic. And God willing, we will return to the Pedic Meshach Mohammed. Let's move on. Now, in Parsha Shoiftim at the end, the Torah juxtaposes the dinim of Meshach Mohammed with the dinim of Eglarufa. In short, the dinim of Eglarufa is that if a person is found murdered, and we'll see in our Mishnah, not anyone that's murdered, but according to some interpretations of the Mishnah, only murdered with a knife, with a sharp metal instrument. And perhaps, according to Atana Rabbi bin Yaakov, we will learn in Andaf Memhei, perhaps only if they were murdered by them being cut by their necks. We'll see that later. But in certain circumstances, when they are found on the field, and we don't know who murdered them, so then the Torah says that the elders of, this, of Yerushalayim have to go out and they have to measure the distance between the fallen corpse and the nearby cities to determine what is the closest city. And then there's a certain declaration that has to be made. Then, then a calf is taken to Nachal Eisen, which means either either a calf is taken to the area where they found the corpse or a calf has to be taken to a mighty river, to a flowing river. And the calf has to be decapitated in a specific way from the back. And after that happens, you're going to have A, a declaration from the elders of the city. And you're going to have words of prayer from Kahanim, words of atonement. Says the Mishnah, Egla Arufa, that the words, both the words of the declaration of the Kahanim and the words of prayer and atonement, the declaration is by the Zakanim, and the words of prayer and atonement from the Kahanim, Rashi says both of these statements that we find in the Torah have to be made by Lashon HaKodesh Dafka. They have to be made in Lashon HaKodesh. Shenemar, superficially it, it appears that this Shenemar is proving that it has to be said by Lashon HaKodesh and that's not so as the Gemara will point out. It says, Ki If you find someone slain on the ground, and the elders and the uh, Judges should go out, period. And the Gemara is going to ask, well, how does that prove Balash and Kaidish? And we're going to, let's go straight to the answer. Egla Rufa said Balash and Kaidish, we know that from another place. And now the Mishnah Pashad wants to begin with the Seder of Egla Rufa. So it's beginning with the order, like Ketzat. What happens? First, you have to have the elders going out. And now says the Mishnah, who goes out exactly from where? Shloisha, three members have to go from the basin, Hagadol in Yerushalayim, they have to go from the great Sanhedrin, they went out. Rabbi Yehuda says it wasn't three, from the great Sanhedrin, it was five. How does he come to five? Shenemar, zikei necha, your elders, lashem rabim, the minimum of plural is two. Then the Torah says the words vishayf techa, apparently the word is extra, we'll clarify that soon also. Shnai, so two and two is four, so let it be four, says the Mishnah, no. Because the ain begs din shakol. There's a rule we'll learn in Sanhedrin. You can never have an even court. Why not? Because whenever there is something that might be up to a discussion, the rule will be go after the majority. So you have to start out with an odd number for you to be able to have a majority. So you add one. We see from Aleim Oidachot. Continues the Mishnah. What happens if the corpse is found 
Tamun begal, let's get used to these words. Tamun, tamun means covered. Covered in a heap, in a pile of stones or anything else. Or if the corpse is found taloi be'ilin, hanging from a tree. Or if the corpse is found safal p'neamayim, floating on water. And we'll see in the Gemara, perhaps not only on water, if he's not on the ground. So then in these three cases, says the Mishnah, loi hoyo arfin, there is no din of Eglarufa. Why? Because the Torah says the words ba'adama. And let's touch the words ba or ba. What does that mean? It can really have two meanings. Ba can mean in, and ba can mean on. So let's learn it, that he understands it. Ba adama means on the ground. Ah, on the ground, not, on, not floating. On the ground, not in the ground. Not tamun. On the ground, not hanging from a tree. Ba adama, ba adama means not covered. If it's covered, he's not on the ground, he is in the ground, and the base means on. Neufel, the Torah says the words Neufel, that word, to correct myself, that excludes someone who's hanging from a tree. Because if he's hanging on a tree, he's not fallen, he's hanging. And when the Torah says the words Basade, on the field, that comes to teach you, not when he's floating. Continues the Mishnah, when the person is found far, if he's found near a border, or if the person is found outside, but near a city, or the third case, if he's found near the city that doesn't have a basin, they did not measure, that's an important emendation of the Bach, you didn't measure. And as it's going to become clear, these three are not the same. The first two of the three, if he's found near a border, near the border of Eretz Yisrael, or if the corpse is found near a city, there you didn't do the Egla Rufa ceremony altogether. Because Beruba, it came from Goyim. So it's not on us, it's not on the Jewish community. Nothing was done. When it was found near a city, they didn't have a basin, you didn't measure to that city. But you measured to the closest city that does have a basin. Continues the Mishnah, Ein It means it's in the borders of Israel, but it's near the border. Not the opposite. And now that Mishnah says, explaining the last case, it's not that there's no din altogether. That you will measure to the closest city that does have a basin. Okay, so let's begin. First, let's hop on. First, the Gemara asks, Micah Omar, you have to measure to the closest city. Let's say there's a corpse found and there's three cities nearby. So you're not going to measure, to, if one of those th- three cities don't have a small Sanhedrin, there's no court of 23, you don't even s- measure to that city. You would only measure to the other two to see, is this corpse near to which one of those two that each one has a in? And then you would do the ceremony of Aglarufa. When the corpse is found near a city that have Gaim, you don't measure altogether. You don't do the ceremony. You go to the closest city that has a basin. So if there's a closest city that doesn't have the full basin, only has a small basin. No, no, no. If, if, there's a, if we're speaking about a city that doesn't have a Sanhedrin Katana. So if there's three cities, right. A, B, and C, even if physically it's closest to city A, A does not have a Sanhedrin Katana, so you would ignore A. A doesn't exist. You would measure to B and to C, to, which both have a small Sanhedrin. And then the city, which is closest between B and C, they will be the ones that will be uh, doing the ceremony. So the city with, the with a basin. Not the 
very good. And now by the other two exceptions, Samach Lusfar, Ir Shunuba Evdekechavim, if there's such a case, you don't do anything. You don't do anything. No ceremony is made. Another important thing, which is not for now, but just Bekitzer, that even though it seems from the Chumash that you measure to the closest city, it's not so simple. According to most Rishonim, you know when the only thing that counts is which one is closer, when both cities have the same numbers of people. So their Karayv, which one is closer, will be the ones more responsible. What will be, Digmar speaks to this in Baba Basra, if one city, Hapashit, is larger? So now there's another whole concept in Allah called Rayv. Karay versus Rayv is not such a simple subject. And according to many, you would go to the farther city if it's larger. Now this is also very vague because how much larger, how much farther, but just to be aware that there is such a concept. Let's start with the Gemara and then we'll finish this year. In fact, the Gemara, my comment, how do you begin, how do you begin the Mishnah? The Mishnah says, Egla Rufa, both the declaration and the words of atonement are said in Lashon Kodesh, what does that prove? It doesn't prove anything. Amar you're right. This is what the Mishnah is. How do we know it has to be Belashon HaKadosh? The Mishnah is not addressing it. Remember, what's the din? Again, Va'anu Va'amru. Because just like it says in the Parshas Eglaru for the words Va'anu Va'amru, and Ulahalun Oimer elsewhere, where's elsewhere, everything goes back to the Brachas and Klolos and Tisavai. It says Va'anu Halavim Va'amru, Ve'goimer, Ma'aniya Ha'amur Ulahalun. Has to be Belashon HaKadosh. How do we know that Aniyah v'Amira, dear Belashan Kodesh Machlokes Tanoim? We had this a few days ago. Either because, um, no, either because we learn out from Koil Ram and Matan Torah, or what's the other option? There's another option. If it's from the words Kacha or there's a word over there, this is what they say. Look back, so Afkan. Here also, it has to be Beloshan HaKodesh. Now, the Mishnah begins with the Shanemar as if to say, the Seder Egla Arufa Ketzad, Ki beginning with the Pasik, and here the Mishnah began that the Tanakama holds, you have to have three, and here we have a name to that, you have to have three, and Rabbi Yehuda says it has to be five, we'll stop here, Emir Tzashem to be continued.